0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Uh, given an amazing book, it's called Member of the Family, and it's by Diane Lake. Now, um, and Deborah Herman as a as a co-writer, and. Um, this, this was unique because we do a lot of talk about uh, Charles Manson and the Manson family and, and Diane was part of it and at age 14 um, she became one of Charles Manson girls and uh, now she's written a book and uh, telling us all about what it was like from the inside. So uh, we're welcoming to the show Diane Lake. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Let's talk a little bit about your your early life. Now, uh, you grew up in uh, what Minneapolis, I believe. Yes. Let's talk about your your relationship with your parents. Now, um, now in the '60s, it seemed like the tune in, turn on, and drop out thing was kind of going on, and your your parents decided to do that. That's correct. How did that make you feel? I mean, were you good with it,
2: or
0: well, it seemed like that the way the world was going this was you know uh like cutting edge or you know the new this was the new uh way of thinking of bringing peace you know the vietnam war was not over and you know there's a lot of protests and people just were tired of you know society the way it was and so I think that the counterculture movement was, you know, encouraged by Allen Ginsberg, you know, Timothy Leary, Alice Huxley, and my dad was really into reading all those people and listening to them. So he, even before we got to California, he wanted to go to California because of them. He wanted to be, you know, Jack Kerouac, he wanted to be, you know, go to Berkeley and be part of that scene. He wanted to get his master's
1: degree in art
0: and teach art. Right. Now, now the culture
1: back then, too, for the for the young listeners that don't know, it's similar in a way of today. That um, there was a lot of distrust for the government and for the cops and all that. Um, you know, like you know, everybody was kind of separated in that way. Um, so i guess that would have been part of your feeling as well right uh, and to be a, away from that sort of mainstream policing and uh, government
0: right now and i love school but you know um my education in minnesota was a lot better than when i even back then when i moved to california my parents you know, I, we're kind of disillusioned. So that you know, kind of added added to it, and then you start taking LSD and smoking marijuana and listening uh, to Timothy and Larry talk about you know LSD was wonderful. Everybody should take it, you know, and so he got involved with that, and that led to, us getting involved with the Oracle, which was an underground newspaper in Los Angeles that was an offshoot of the San Francisco Oracle, and because he wanted to do art for them, and he did uh, do art for them. And that led us to, you know, basically joining that community, and then when they lost their... Uh, house that they were living in, they moved into ours (laughs) in Santa Monica. (laughs) And then that led to, you know, a couple of the guys uh, buying these uh, bakery bread trucks and converting them into campers. And, you know, we were going to go down the road and be a commune, but then it ended up just my family.
3: Yes, Um, commune living.
0: Right. So that's what I, you know, and how long we were going to do that, but we, we basically left the summer that I would have, or the in September when I would have been in ninth grade. And I was the oldest of three.
1: So you guys were just kind of traveling around um, house to house or just free as the wind kind of thing? Is that kind of how it went? Yeah,
2: we,
0: we, we were staying at the beaches, you know, the public... The, pub, the parking lots and the public beaches, you know, on the California coast.
2: Wow.
3: Now, quite honestly, uh, honestly, how did that feel for you?
0: It was tight. Five people living in a like a step-up van. <laughs> it was <laughs> a little tight. A little tight, but, even though a lot of your living took place outside. Um, really... And I just wanted to help my mom. You know, I wanted, my mom and dad were arguing, not bad arguments, but, you know, like philosophical kind of arguing about, you know, what the man's role was, what the woman's role was, you know, in this new age, basically. And, you know, I just wanted to help my mom. I was making pancakes one morning and, you know, she criticized me for not flipping them over, you know. At the right time. So I just, you know, I've had it, and I walked off and, you know, found a little boy that needed pushing on the swing, and I did that, and I met his parents, and they were hippies, and introduced him to my parents, and then, you know, we drove the bread truck over to the house that he was, you know, that they were staying at and, you know, joined up forces and lived with them for a while, and that's where... I felt I heard the voice of God on an acid trip say it was time for me to leave home. So I mm. talked to my parents about it. They wrote me a note, and I moved in, you know, basically with that couple, and my parents, you know, went went on.
3: Wow. Um, we uh. joined
0: up again, and, you know, I went to Big Sur with them, and then I met a guy and went to San Francisco with him, because you know, I had this note in my pocket, you know, basically giving me, making me an, an emancipated minor although it wasn't legal <laughs> you know it it, it serves
2: uh,
0: me I, and what fifteen-year-old doesn't feel like an adult
3: you know oh my, my, my god uh, let me speak to that you know i've got a fifteen-year-old daughter and she okay. knows everything <laughs> i hope she goes to congress and solves all the world's problems <laughs> while she still knows everything oh. Right? But, right. I mean, the, but, 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 I mean, the, the beginning of your story, I mean, almost sounds like a vacation that most kids would love, would oh, love to friend. have.
0: My friends thought, I you know, that i died and gone to heaven. I mean, they, they couldn't believe it. Wow, your parents are doing what? <laughs> you don't, you're not going to have to go to school anymore?
3: <laughs> yes. Uh, until you start meeting these people and your parents turn you over to these people, I mean that, uh, holy crap, you know. And I'm censoring myself, Diane. Uh, holy crap! I mean, so, what? Yeah. Yeah, maybe, what happened maybe,
1: there? Yeah, maybe talk about that. The uh, so uh, when you uh, first kind of uh, met Charlie in the group and kind of how how you kind of got. Um, involved with them
0: oh gosh Um, I I actually met him through another couple Uh, my parents had landed in the hot farm commune when I was in San Francisco and then I showed up and I didn't know it but they had already black Charlie as he was then known had made a couple of trips up to the hog farm. And he wasn't really welcome there after a few, you know, antics happened. But my mom had ultimately given him my photo and said, she's in San Francisco. If if you go to San Francisco, you know, look for her, right? And the girls were from the Midwest. You know, a couple of the girls were from the Midwest, and my mom just thought they were... They were great. And at that point, they were just another commune with, you know, a charismatic leader, Charlie. So, anyway, this had transpired, and then when I went to the hawk farm, I was considered jailbait. I don't think my parents knew about Mm. that conversation, you know, with the head guy, (laughs) Well,
2: well, you were.
0: (laughs) I was jailbait, and I, you know, the counterculture really was not the place, and they did not take into consideration the bigger picture of what do you do with a sexually active, underage girl. And they're, you know, Timothy Leary, I mean, they're the oracle, they're all about, you know, sex is good. You know, it's, it, there was no age. You know, it was like, there wasn't, uh, there might have been, you know, too young, but 14 was not too young to not have sex. I mean, and, and, you know, as I'm sure that, you know, you experienced with your daughter, the hormones are starting to, you know, get woken up. And so, there really wasn't a place for a sexually active underage girl, and, m- My parents were just a little bit older. Most of the hippies either in the commune were either young but of age, or they just had little kids. There there weren't any other kids my age. I didn't have peers. So I didn't feel welcome. I didn't feel welcome at the hog farm. And so when I I went to live with this other couple and they introduced me to Charlie and when I walked in the door they already knew me. And I didn't know that my I didn't know this story about my mom giving, you know, him my picture so you know, a month up. before. So yeah, she didn't anyway, so I walk in the door, the girls run up to me. Charlie, Charlie, Diane is here. It's like, what? How do you know me? So then, you know, so then I I got the story that my mom had given them my picture. But nonetheless, I was, you know, and they immediately, I immediately felt loved and adored. I didn't join them immediately, but two weeks later they were getting ready. They were going to go to, uh, on a road trip to New Mexico, and I felt loved and adored by them, and I, I loved the girls, and I loved Charlie, and he made me feel, like, really special, and so that's how I ended up becoming a member of the Manson family.
1: When you were 14, and you were with Charlie, and you guys got pulled over, and uh, when they found out you were 14, the cops took you. And, uh, and just about that so I mean your parents came and got you out of court but then they just let you go with Charlie again right so uh, they, they knew who you were with in a way or they thought it was okay
0: right well he didn't seem any different than you know Hugh Romney or you know any of these other you know pseudo gurus yeah. that were you know leading just these charismatic you know leaders and actually you know so he just became this diabolical you know person I don't think murder was on his agenda you know even that first year
1: right It just turned into it yeah you mentioned about how um, it was all kind of uh, love, you know, you would, you guys would sit around take uh, acid and uh, sing songs and, and it was all about loving each other. Uh, when, when did you see that change or when did you feel that that was becoming different?
0: Uh, about a year and, you know, a month or two in uh, and we'd already been going to the desert and he all, you know, he had left me in the desert with another couple to kind of, you know, hold down the fort, you know, so other people, miners or whatever, wouldn't move in, fix it up. I mean, I I put white stones, I gathered stones and old wagon wheels and bottles, and, you know, I was making, I was decorating the outside. And, um, but I felt that was the first time that I had really been kind of separated from the inner circle at least that's how I felt, and so when I had an opportunity, Bobby Bosley came up to the desert and wanted to—you know—he basically wanted a girl to help him panhandle, so he must have been broke. Um, so he came up to the desert, you know, maybe hoping to find Charlie, but he didn't. So he he asked if I wanted to go with. I did. The whole way, I felt. Like the rocks and the trees were crying out to me, too. That I had made a mistake. I was. I just felt weird. And when we got to the valley, they were the family was at Gresham Street, which is I think it's in Kenilworth Park, or it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's an apartment buildings now. But there was a whole different vibe going on, and Charlie was very. Upset with me that I had disobeyed him and not stayed in the desert, so he said, "I'm you know you're going back to your parents."
2: <laughs> oh <laughs>
0: that Lord, <was> my <laughs> that's my punishment. You're going back to your parents, you know. Well, and lo and behold, he found them.
3: Well, Di- so
0: Diane.
3: Well, Diane, let's be intellectually honest. Was at that point going back to your parents? an actual punishment.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I you know it, it shouldn't have been it shouldn't have been but it's just I you know I, they hadn't really kept in touch. I didn't know where they were. My mom and dad had now separated. My mom has like uh not officially married, but she was now with another man. And the funny thing is that my dad was still, you know, on the scene. It was a totally mutual thing, you know. They they loved each other, but they couldn't live together, one of those situations. And so my parents, her new new significant other and my dad are like house parents for an alternative boarding school. And so there's all these kids now you. my same age, and she's married to this, or you know, she's got another husband, and I am steeped in Charlieisms and songs, and you know, my mind is blown on acid, and I just I got into that into a house, and I just wanted to climb on the roof and scream out to everybody Charlie songs, and I just. It, I, I could not relate to these kids my same age at all, so I wanted to go back. And so I, I found my way back to where Charlie and company were living, and then he took me to Gary Hinman's. He really did not want me there with them, and that made me feel bad.
3: Now, now psychologically, all of this right now, at this point, is understandable, And how much, because, you know, many of our listeners, and myself included, we have teenage daughters. And, you know, like I was saying at the beginning of the interview, my daughter is 15, you know, and she knows everything. You know, she's (laughs) lived entire lifetimes. I I don't know. (laughs) You know, I'm stupid today.
0: And if you turned her loose, if if you gave her the choice, you know, she doesn't
3: know about buying her own shampoo and toilet paper and <laughs> Oh no, 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 no. She's I'm stupid till she needs something. But you know, but but how much of this would you actually attribute to teenage rebellion versus the parents just not being connected and attempting to understand their child and willing to just wow, I mean it's just Uh, Diane,
0: I'm trying to wrap my
3: mind around this. It's releasing you to the wild.
0: I know. But the wild back then wasn't as wild as it is now. I mean, the media has contributed to that, you know, in heightening our awareness of pedophiles and you know, drugs and all of that. But back in the 60s, you know, we were in a movement where everybody loved and trusted each other and it, and I was my parents oldest, okay, and I take, I take some responsibility for what happened. I was the oldest of three. I walked at nine months. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to iron, wash the dishes, anything my mom did. I do it, you know. Mm-hmm. I do it myself. I my nickname was Do <laughs> Anne,
3: and, and and that's okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was very independent and very capable, very smart. You know, straight A student, um, loved school. My mom said I was never happier than when I was going to school. So, and I got a really good education, thankfully, in Minnesota. Uh. The two years that I was in the California school, it was like, you know, it was kind of a repeat. I had already had a lot of the stuff that I was learning in, in middle school. So, my parent, and then you, you throw in some drugs and Timothy Leary and, you know, independence of my, you know, my mom and dad were exploring this new you know, way of life and I had asked for emancipation and they'd given it to me and so, you know, I take some responsibility in that separation and uh, they'd already, my mom and dad had both already, you know, uh, disconnected earlier or even earlier with a couple of incidents. So I was, you know, Mm-hmm. I was on my own, and they, yeah. My mom said she felt like I was just a, a, another sister in the commune. She really didn't. She, I, I guess, mm-hmm. they didn't think that I needed some direction, supervision, boundaries.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. some some of the basics.
0: You know, they
2: they yeah. they bought no. hey, yeah. into the fact that I knew
0: everything.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and and I'm willing to buy that, you know, you know, but I just can't imagine uh, allowing my 15 year old daughter to, you know, wander free, like you know. know. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, but but then again, I, I sympathize <laughs> with you. We live in a, a new time, you know. Back when I used to ride my bike through the neighborhood after dark, now. You know, my daughter better be in bed by six, right after the Brady Bunch.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's a a little too much. Ah, that
0: is what it is. When I grew up, I don't know how old you are, I'm 64, but it was like, you know, and my dad didn't even allow us to have a television, but it's like, you know, when you got home from school, look, have some cookies and milk, and then... Okay, be be home before the street lights come on, or you know when they do come on, come on home. You know it'll be time for dinner. Um, you know you could pretty much go anywhere.
1: Now, now, how did you get the name Snake?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we were living in Topanga, uh, and I had been fasting. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I had been fasting on like. Uh, lemon honey water. And I just imagined I wasn't on I wasn't on acid or anything. I just was imagining what it would be like to be a snake slithering through the tall, cool grass. It was probably a hot day, you know, and I was just imagine, I just was imagining what it might be like. And I related that imagining to the girls in the kitchen. They told Charlie and from then on, that's how I got the name Snake. And there's a lot of misinformation out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I know, and I kind of know that, but I just thought I'd put it out there for the for for the listeners so they can kind of find out what the the name was really about.
0: And uh... right, I mean, it was just a very innocent tale. And the interesting thing is, though, that I was born in the year of the snake, according you know to the Chinese year. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Each, each year, like, I think we're in the year of the rooster right now. Yeah. But I was born in the year of the snake, which I think is really interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a coincidence there. Yeah. And so so now you guys got to meet uh, Dennis Wilson and part of the Beach Boys. And, and uh, what was that experience like?
0: Dennis was a really fun guy, cute, you know, uh, he was just, he was fun. He, I got to go to the Colorado River with him and I think two of the other girls in his Rolls Royce. You know, we basically, I just had a bathing suit and a cover-up on, that's it. And, you know, it, it was a, like a family uh, vacation or getaway on the Colorado River. Well, that was kind of interesting. And then, you know, the family wasn't real... Open and accepting of these uh, kind of ragtag girls that he had, but that's who he was. He liked. He was the rebel. He was definitely the rebel in the family. He liked bringing us kind of, you know, ragtag <laughs> girls to was the family party, so to speak. And you know, he liked fast. He liked to drive fast cars, fast boats. Um, I loved his house. It was Will Rod- It was Will Rogers' um, estate on uh, sunset. Beautiful grounds. I mean that's what I remember about living there. It was big redwood trees and there was a big swing hanging and, you know from one of the trees and it was like a big log cabin. Beautiful guest house, pool. It, you know, it was, it was like living in a park. Yeah. We made, and I remember we made um, back then. Uh, gosh, what do they call them? Palazzo, like palazzo pants, you know, like big camel pants or whatever. <laughs> we we made we made those kind of uh, pants out of his blue satin sheets. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was probably when I remember. That was probably the, the the worst thing that we did at his house was use his sheets. You know. To make pans <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for ourselves. Yeah. We ran, he did garbage, we, we made garbage runs in his Rolls Royce. And he was really impressed with the food that we could find <laughs> and prepare. Yeah. And in a, in, and, the, and
3: the a Rolls Royce.
0: Dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to go to the back of the grocery store and, you know, look through the dumpsters and load it up and load the trunk up
2: and go home and make him a wonderful meal. Yeah. Well, help, Diane. Where were you on
1: grocery day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you think he had a lot to do with how um, Charlie sort of started to change? Because you mentioned about how um, you know you guys hung out the house for so long, but he eventually kind of um, just moved out himself. Well, he... <laughs>
0: Yeah, his house, he, he, his lease was up. He and didn't own that house. He, no. was, he was just leasing. And so he moved in, I think he moved in with Greg Jacobson or Terry Mel. He moved, and so we kind of had to move. And I think that the relationship was starting to sour. His brothers did not like Charlie. Uh, they, they did a recording session with Charlie and they, I think they really tried to mold him into like a rock star and Charlie just was not going to be molded. Do not change the lyrics to his songs. Don't change the way he dresses. So, but I think that in the end Charlie was disappointed later on because Terry Melcher was, uh, did like a little recording session with us. Oh yeah. He came and listened to us at the ranch. Charlie playing guitar, and you know mm-hmm. the rest of us, you know, singing along. And we went. We actually went to a studio and did some recording. And Char- but at that point, Charlie was not looking to be a rock star. But he would have liked to have made some money because at that point, he really. Wanted to move to the desert or and move us all to the desert. So he was looking for money for supplies, for food, you know, for gas, for more dune buggies, um, that kind of thing. I think he, I don't think Charlie's goal was to be a rock star. Right, right. He didn't want, he didn't want his music changed. Well, so he, I think he could have, he just wanted to make money. On its
3: own. Now, now that's portrayed in a lot of shows, you know, because you know we all know that he had an obsession with the Beatles, and that is portrayed in a lot of shows. Now, I myself, in preparation for this interview and others, have watched the series Aquarius. How accurate? (laughs) I
2: watched watched too.
0: (laughs)
3: <laughs> yes, well, well, how accurate is that?
0: My takeaway on that show? It's not really very accurate, but they've got the Charlie-isms, the way Charlie talks in that show. The things that he says are, are almost creepy. They're so Charlie-like. Mm. So, we're, whoever is helping them, whoever is cons- they're consulting with, or maybe they just pick that up from different, you know, uh, YouTube videos or whatever, but it's amazing how accurate the Charlieisms, what Charlie speaks, what, you know, the, some of the things that he says, but the rest of it is just, uh, I don't know. It's BS. Minutia.
3: <laughs> okay, let, let's go to the Charlie-isms. When you first met him, what, you know, because that's what amazed me uh, about this show, is when he first meets people, the way he's able to enrapture them. What was it about him when you first met him that really captured you? Well,
0: he has this uncanny ability to Uh, read people, to, you know, find out what their needs... I mean, it's just like he can, like, see through you and know what your needs, your deep needs, your heart, you know, your heartfelt desires are, and then he can be that or provide that. I don't think he has true empathy. I think he just read people but then he
3: uses it for his own benefit you know people like him do have the ability to read people and they can approach you where you're at but he found a a weakness in you and was able to manipulate you through that weakness for example if you don't do what i want you to do then i'm going to turn you back over to your parents was that was that really such a penalty that you were willing to do whatever charlie manson as we know him today wanted
0: yeah i mean it's a, a good question i i think he he knew that i didn't want to be with my parents and and he so he was treating me i think even more more important is that he was treating me like a child, and that I did not want to be treated like a child.
2: Right. I was an adult.
0: Well, I was an emancipated minor. <laughs> you know? Yes.
3: Well, I mean, you know, he gave you a sense of freedom. I'm going to, you know, even though you're 14, I will treat you like an adult you can you know, you can have sex, you can have drugs, you can have anything as long as you follow these guidelines. If you don't do what I ask, then I'm going to send you back to this, you know, parental authority. You're, you're going to go back into the system. And is that
0: right, kind exactly of what, what, what
3: kept you there? Yeah. I think
0: it's just because he made me feel you know, loved and adored most of the time. Or uh, when I was on a Dr. Phil show, uh, Dr. Phil said that he used this term that I hadn't heard before, but it's called love bashing, and that it's an, a manipulation where they just shower you with love and affection and adoration to get you under their power, And then they they mistreat you later on, but you still remember that, you know, the original good feelings. And I think that's really, that's really how Charlie kept me, was because whether it was a manipulation or it was just a natural exchange that, you know, I really don't know, but I did... That was my greatest weakness, even facing him in court, was Mm. was I going to succumb to those original feelings of being loved and adored by him?
3: Uh, How did it feel while you were in court?
1: Yeah,
0: were you worried
1: about some sort of uh, follow-back by somebody for being in court against him?
0: Not really, because at that point, um, I was living with uh, 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 Inyo County Sheriff, (laughs) took me in as his foster child. So, uh, you know, I I had protection. They lived in a very tiny little town, you know, and not not even that, Bishop was the closest town. So, you know, which is the biggest town for Mammoth. So I felt, I felt safe. I did. And then uh, after, when I turned 18, I went to junior college. And after a semester there, then I went to, or two semesters, I went to uh, Spokane. And then I went, to, then I lived in Europe for two years. And so I was really, I, you know, I, I wasn't worried about that at all.
1: You were pretty close with the other girls in the family. Um, How did it make you feel then? Didn't you? I mean, it must have been pretty traumatic because you didn't know about what was going on with the killings. Um, No. So this must have been to find out these people you were really close with were involved in this. Like that must have been the hardest part of it.
0: Yes. It was. I mean, I was just shocked that these women, you know, that I had loved, you know, emotionally and, you know, in some cases physically, you know, were capable of this mayhem. You know, it was, it was, it was shocking and I, um, it just totally discombobulated me, you know, for the, the rest of the time that I was in the desert. And why I hid, you know, from the police the first time, you know, that it was raided, you know, behooves me. But that I just, I was thinking the whole time I was hiding under that bush all day, you know, was that Charlie was going to be so proud of me. You know, so I'm still Mm -hmm. seeking I'm still seeking his approval. Yeah,
2: approve, even though yes.
0: he's you know, he has, you know, threatened to hang me upside down and skin me alive and you know, I know that he told Tex, you know, to go, you know, kill these people and, you know, or whoever was in the house and it was just like oh my gosh. I mean, you know, when I when I think back back on it, it was just craziness and that's why I'm so happy that I had an opportunity to write this book and really, you know, dig down. My collaborator was awesome in helping me dig down. Plus, you know, my husband of 35 years had died, and so I was in counseling for grief. And it just was really helpful to kind of unburden, uh, you know, unearth, unearth the depth of what had happened to me. Because I, I, it wasn't until I uh, wrote the book or, you know, contributed writing the book that I even felt really like I had been a victim.
2: Right. You know, I, I
0: hadn't really, I had taken a lot of responsibility for what happened to me, you know, because of my independence and and all of that. But really, you know, I mean, my daughter is in her 30s now, but she was a teenager and I just thought, oh my, you know, they're not they're not ready no matter how much they think they are yeah, <laughs> <You
2: know? laughs> yeah
1: well that's, that's yeah. how we always see it later right For me, but at the time yeah
0: and i a, you know i uh, i've got a bachelor's and a master's degree now in, in like human development and you know because i was a teacher and the the human brain really isn't fully, even fully matured until you're like around 21. And I didn't even feel like I became an adult until I was like in my 50s. (laughs) You know, one day I woke
2: up. No, I'm there
1: there with
0: with you. You. (laughs) I'm there with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's something. So, you know, life is funny, but I really uh, appreciated, you know, having the opportunity to write this book and, and being brave enough, you know, to... To, to do it because i think it's it's an it's a, um, an amazing story that i made it through having you, and i hope that this gives hope for parents who have kids that have gone off the deep end you know it, they can make it through you know they can come back you know they can make it cuz i was you know I was Crazy you know, yeah. <laughs> from t- 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 taking too many drugs, you know, and, yes. and and not having, you know, the supervision and the
1: you know. No, no, and, point- and all and of point, that. And I'm point and point too, is like now, you, you never took, you weren't involved in any of these uh, murders, and that and and he kept no. you, he kept you kind of distant from it. Do you know why he did that, or was there a particular reason? It, it, was it your age? or um, Do you have any idea?
0: I don't think I was reliable.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> I, I was
0: too I was so independent, you know, I mean, and I disobeyed him. I didn't, you know, I came back from the desert. You know, he told me to stay there, and I didn't, so... I don't think I was very trustworthy. Plus, uh, I don't think I could have done that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, how do you think you would have handled it if he did ask you to come along? And I mean, that would have been, wouldn't you? That would have been a terrible amount of pressure to put on you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could have done it. You know, so would they have killed me because I couldn't? You know, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I, I just. Thank you, Lord, yeah. that I I, I I never had to experience that.
1: Okay. I, 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 know, really... I also noticed, when, when, you know, what stuck out was when you were talking about when he was playing the White Album a lot, like your groups would get together and instead of loving and singing and doing acid, all of a sudden it was all about the White Album and how it was speaking to him and the Beatles were looking for him and... All that stuff, and that one time when you had to go to the bathroom, you had to go pee, and uh, he made you do it in front of everybody. Yep. And I thought, wow, I, I, but you still stuck with it. Like it didn't, it, it didn't make you leave.
0: I I know you know, um, yeah. It was embarrassing and it was humiliating, but. Um, I think he'd embarrassed and humiliated me (laughs) enough before that 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 was just, you know, but it it stuck with me. He was using me as an example. He did not like, he didn't like it if I diverted my attention, like if if he had the group's attention, you know, we're all sitting around in a circle listening to him, you know, talk about, whatever, you know, was on his mind that he thought was important to impart, you know, and I, if I would make a flip comment or, which I'm prone to do, and I still am. <laughs> so I, I know that that was part of my personality, that he didn't like that. And so there were times when, you know, I felt like he did discipline me, embarrass me, or, you know, smack me or whatever, you know, as a, an example you know mm-hmm. that I better pay attention, and that's and when we were in the desert, I was very distracted when I had found out about the murders and the people's participation in it and how gruesome, you know, and just callous they were about it. That um, I had a hard time staying focused, and that's when he threatened to. You know, hang me upside down and skin me alive. And I, at that point, I had no reason not to believe that he would.
3: When the authorities, the police, when they got involved, how did you feel about that?
0: Well, I didn't tell them how old I was or my real name for a couple of months. We were all in the jail together. The girls were all in the jail together in the same cell. And, you know, admonishing one another not to say anything, and, um, and it wasn't until, uh, Susan Atkins started telling her cellmate in Los Angeles about Charlie and Helter Skelter and, you know, how, you know, her participation in, in those murders, and her cellmate then told them. So they hauled us all down from Inyo County to Los Angeles County to uh, testify in front of the grand jury because they were looking for indictments. And after not taking drugs, having good food, uh, reading and overhearing a couple of matrons, you know, say those poor girls are never going to make it, it wasn't, I had all that as a foundation and it wasn't until I was standing in front of the bailiff ready to go in uh, to the grand jury that they asked me name, you know, age, all that, and I, I go, I'm, I'm Diane Lake, I'm 16, and I want my mommy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, because I didn't know women's so, jail, I'm 16. They immediately separated me from the rest of the group. But that was the first time yes. that I had felt safe enough to even say my name, to tell to tell them my real name and my real age. Because up until then... I had been arrested in Ventura County um, with a fake ID, and so I was using mm-hmm. that. Even though they took the fake ID from me, you know, they actually had to call back in the days, you know, before digital media and, <laughs> you know, communication, they actually had to call and say, oh, did you have, you know, a, a Diane bluestein age such and such, you know, yeah, they did. And so that's that's all they didn't go into the details oh yeah but it was a fake id and you know maybe the operator didn't have that information i don't know but so that's who they thought i was now they know i'm underage and so now they're tactic now they're not threatening the gas chamber i mean when when they thought i was an adult you know i'm getting interrogated for you know a couple of hours and being threatened we know you know we know you who you are, honey, and, you know, and <laughs> you're going to the gas chamber, you know, and, you know, all that, those kind of tactics. But then when I told them how old I was and they separated me and I had all these detectives and policemen and who knows who coming and talk to me, they were a bunch nicer and kinder, brought me candy. Oh,
2: <laughs> <Aww. laughs> that's sweet. And,
0: you know, but so they softened me up. You know and then i quickly became a ward of the court and went to you know a mental hospital and that was a wonderful experience and i you know i oh. i no longer have stigma about that you know before you know, who wants to who wants to tell anybody yes. to in a mental hospital? Yeah. but it was a good experience i learned how to play the flute i learned how to crochet i had all these moms i had all this nurturing i had good food you know, I had psychiatric and psychological counseling, and they really were able to, you know, deprogram. Deprogram. Yeah. A, and then, then my arresting officer takes me in as a foster child, and so, I, you know, they really saved my life.
3: If you were to face Charlie Manson today, how would that interaction be? How, how would that go? And
0: then if I saw Charlie, I mean Charlie, actually, I can't just go visit him. I have to submit paperwork, and then he has he would have to approve my coming to visit him.
3: Oh, really?
0: Yeah, that's how the 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 system works now.
2: Well, so I
0: I can't just go say oh I want to go visit him and say hi you know or whatever. But if I did have an opportunity to visit him and I had one question, I would ask him, did he really believe he was Jesus Christ at one point? Because I think that was really the pivotal um, pivotal for him and pivotal for us, that we believe that he was, you know, some kind of Messiah, you know, and he would reiterate it all the time that his name, man's son, you know, was no accident, that he was, you know, God's son, man's mm-hmm. son. And so he, I, I think that's why, you know, he uh, the White Album, you know, the Beatles were talking to him, you know, sending him a message because, you know, they, because he was, you know, the messiah the coming, the second coming kind of guy.
3: Now, how do you feel about him now? Honestly,
0: he's crazy. He just, yeah, he's he's crazy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> just simple. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it's it's that. Yeah, you know,
0: I, mean, I, I can I can say he's a psychopath, or you know, but he's just. He's just crazy, you know, and he loves it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? do, do, he likes <laughs> being, I, I'm sure that he loves being the icon of evil. I'm sure, he, you know, it's exciting to him. Do you, how, how
1: did people receive you now? Uh, like, are you worried about negative feedback now that you're kind of coming out and talking?
0: I'm, I'm worried about what I call the wackadoodles. I'm worried about the people that are obsessed with this case and that they think they know everything there is about it, and those are actually the only, like, negative reviews. I mean, my book has been very well received. Um, the people in my community, my church, the people I've known for, you know, 30-plus years, they're just in awe. Oh, we thought you were the church lady or we thought you were the, we thought you we thought of you was the choir lady. You know, <laughs> that they are amazed and most people are just thrilled, you know, that I'm telling my story because it shows, it gives so much hope. I mean, there's so many, my story can, uh, reach a lot of different people on a lot of different levels and to give them hope, you know to give them hope and uh, just, I, I like being a bright light in this whole Manson murder thing mm-hmm. because it's so dark. And most of the people that, most of the people didn't make it out. Right. And lived to tell the tale. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I have this opportunity to bring some light and some hope, and some recovery, and some redemption, and some, you know, some of God's grace to the story.
1: The book is called Member of the Family. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Diane,
3: thank you. Thank you so much. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. Has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see
2: you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Wave Media.